Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you from a lot of different uh, places, a lot of different situations. The ups and downs of life, the beauty, the pain, the joy, the sorrow, all of those things, Lord, you are acutely aware of all the things that we experience. So, Lord, as we look at this another text in the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your kingdom truth, your love for us and your desire that we would trust you. We would realize your goodness. Your love for us as, as Father knows no limits, knows no bounds. You desire a whole relationship with us. And no matter what we go through, no matter what we do, your disposition to us never changes. A disposition of love. And wanting the best for your children. And so sink that into our hearts today. Sink that into our lives every single day. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, there is this TV show that came out in 2007 and lasted until 2019, and there were 279 episodes. Okay. And this TV show uh, can give us insight into kind of where we're con- where we're. Uh, going today, believe it or not. This TV show was entitled The Big Bang Theory. Anybody ever, ever seen it? Yes? No? Kind of? So, so, and you're probably thinking, what in the world? You're going to go from The Big Bang Theory, the, the TV show, to, to talk about the kingdom and Jesus. So that makes no sense. Like, how are you going to get from, from Big Bang Theory to being a citizen of God's kingdom? Well, if you've seen it, you know the one character, Sheldon. They live in one room. Well, early, earlier on, I think this changed. They got married and changed rooms or whatever. But the one early in the season, early in the, in the show, they, this Sheldon and his roommate lived across the street, across the hall from Penny. Now, Sheldon was an interesting character. But then he would, he would come over and to, to engage with... Penny, he would come over to her door and knock. And it'd be like, Penny, knock, 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 Penny, knock, 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 Penny. Every time he said Penny, he'd knock. And she probably would, would eventually open the door because she was frustrated that he just kept saying her name and knocking. He, she was probably irritated, so she's like, fine, I'll just open the door. That way he'll stop knocking. But in a real way, Sheldon's knocking is a beautiful picture of how we should approach God. He didn't stop knocking until she opened the door. He just said, Penny, knock, 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 Penny, knock, knock, knock. What if we approached our Heavenly Father like that? God, God, God. And he would not necessarily open the door because he's annoyed with us. But he wants a, wants, a, wants a relationship with us. 
And so we're going through this series called Citizen about our allegiance to Jesus and the kingdom. And we're returning to this important discipline of prayer. No, it's very important because Jesus actually talks about it multiple times in the context of this sermon. We looked at prayer in Matthew 6, and it was the Lord's Prayer. And we talked about how, like, um, prayer is a conversation with the Lord. And we, we come with all of our stuff. But it's really interesting, too, is in the placement of prayer and the Lord's Prayer in the midst of Matthew 5 to 7, it's smack dab in the middle. That all of, all of what came before and comes after in the sermon is rooted in prayer. And so if we want to live out the Beatitudes, if we want to love our enemies, if we want to um, have allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom, we've got to root our life in prayer. It holds the sermon together. It holds it and animates everything. And I struggle. I'll be honest. I struggle with prayer a lot. Um, sometimes I don't know what to say. Sometimes I just do my laundry list. Here it is, God. Well, I have to grow in knowledge of what it looks like to have a conversation, an honest one. How I'm feeling, how I'm dealing, how I'm struggling, what's going on in my life. Because God wants to hear it all. And so we're going into Matthew 7, 7 to 12. And again, it's, it's, it's again the centrality of prayer in a kingdom citizen's life. So Matthew, 5, Matthew 7, 7 to 12. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So here at the very beginning in verse 7, what we find is three verbs. And they grow in intensity and progressiveness. So you have ask, seek, knock. Again, think think Sheldon going to the door and knocking. He has a question. He wants to engage with Penny. He's seeking her out and he knocks on our door. It progresses. It moves from his apartment to the hall to the door. When we ask, Jesus says it's going to be given to us. When we seek, Jesus says you will find. And when we knock, Jesus says the door will be open to you. Now, I know what it sounds like. It sounds like Jesus is saying, ask whatever you want and you're going to get it. Because if you just ask and knock and seek, it will be given to you. Does, does God always answer, does he answer every single prayer? The answer is yes. Does he always answer in the way that you hope and you dream? 
All you have to do is live a little bit to realize that's not the case. Because how many of us have prayed things, prayed for people to be healed and they don't get healed? To, to pray for people and they pass away. To pray for things that don't happen. And if someone can explain to me the reasons and the whys, I would love to hear it. I don't, sometimes, I don't think there is. I don't think there's, why did one person get healed and the other person did not? There's, there's no answers. But God always answers prayer. And someone said to me one time, he always answers prayer. Yes, wait, and no. And I don't know about you, but that middle one hurts the most, right? Wait. I'm like, why do I want to wait? I want, I, God, I want you to come through now. Wait. And so, if you've asked, if you've sought after him, if you've knocked, you know that the things you bring don't always end up the way you hope. But it says we are to ask, we are to seek, we are to knock. And when we ask, it's just simply this. God, here's, here's the struggle. Here's the thing that's going on. I'm just letting you know, even though you already know. I'm just letting you know. And Jesus says when, we, when you ask, you will receive. When we seek, we seek after God. We seek after his heart, his will, his desires, which then begin to change the way we engage in prayer. Because sometimes, and I'll be honest, I pray for the things that I want that aren't necessarily in line with what he wants in his way. But the more I seek after him, my prayers begin to change. When we... When we knock, when it's gonna said the door will be open. Penny opens that door because Sheldon is knocking. Jesus wants a relationship with us, an open, honest, two-way conversation. And a lot of the times the door that is standing between us and God is the door that we erect. Not the door that God is hiding. Because he is standing there with an open door. So the question is, though, why do we ask? Why do we seek? Why do we knock? It's because when we really look at the picture of who our Heavenly Father is, it's a picture that if we take it from Scripture, it's, he wants the best for us. He is for us. He's not against us. So often in pictures, in culture, I think a lot of times how we approach God shows the picture that we have of God. Oh, he's always against us. He doesn't want us to succeed. He's, he's, not, he's waiting for us to screw up. But here in this text, it's, Jesus is saying, no, no, that's not the right picture of the Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father pictures this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
if Caden were to ask for me to give him bread, would I turn around and give him a stone? If Trinity asked for fish, would I in turn give her a snake? No. Caden needs bread, I'm going to give him bread. Trin needs fish, I'm going to give her fish. And though I am far from a perfect father, just ask my kids, they know. I'm far from perfect. I do care. And I want them to ask for those things so that we can provide. Compare me to our Heavenly Father who is perfect in all his ways. Right? We just sang it. Perfect in all of your ways. As I was writing this, I was like, we got to sing that song. So thank you for indulging me with that song. <laughs> Our Heavenly Father cares deeply for us. Deeper than we even can imagine. We can't even put, I don't think we can do justice with words of how much and how deep his love for us. There's another song we could have done, how deep the Father's love for us. That's good. If words don't do it justice, again, can I say that our God is for us? Like, let that sink in. Because how much do I think he's against me? Or once my downfall? Or when I blow it? Yep, I figured. No, he's for us, and he loves us, and he wants the best for us, even more than we want the best for ourselves. Now, sometimes our best, what we think is best, is not always best. And so we need to approach our Father in Heaven with the view that God wants to give good gifts to his children. This quote's for you, man. N.T. Wright. So I'll write up for you, man. Maybe it isn't selfish to ask for things. Maybe it's just the natural thing that children are supposed to do with parents. Maybe our refusal to do so actually makes God sad or puzzled. Why aren't my children telling me how it is for them and what they like for me to do for them? And then he says this. I think sometimes our failure to believe such promises and to act upon them doesn't come so much from a failure of faith in God, but from a natural human reluctance. Have you ever... And, and, you know, have you ever, and a lot of us have to kind of go back, but have you ever approached your parents with fear and trepidation because you're not sure what you'll get? How many times does that sometimes then bleed into our relationship with our Heavenly Father? No, no, I don't want to bother him, or I don't want to disturb him, or I don't want to be asking all the time. But when my son, when my daughter asks something, you know, yeah, again, is it always helpful? Is it always beneficial? If my son said, hey, dad, give me $10,000. Can I have $10,000? I'm like, I'm going to say, yeah, you can have $10,000. Get a job. Save a lot of money. You know, to give him $10,000 might not be the best thing. But, But can he approach me with everything? No matter what. Can my daughter approach me and just say, Dad, I trust you, that you care for me. And so we, we approach God as Father because 
he wants to give good gifts. We, our reluctance is like, what if Sheldon didn't knock? What if he didn't come and wasn't persistent? Knock, 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 knock. What if we'd stopped? You know, Penny opened the door because she was annoyed. Just stop knocking, please. Just what? What? <laughs> She'd always open and go, "What do you want?" <clears throat> God's not there behind the door, going, "What do you want?" Well, he might, but it But the tone is, "What do you want?" Different, same word, different tone. This, this idea, he, God wants us to come and be persistent. In our prayers, another a teaching pastor in California says God values persistence and passion in prayer because they show that we share His heart. It shows that we care about the things He cares about. Persistent prayer does not overcome God's stubborn reluctance. It gives glory to Him, expresses dependence upon Him, and aligns our heart more with His. So, ask, seek, not be persistent. It reminds me of a parable, right? Jesus tells this parable of this persistent widow in Luke 18. And Jesus says this, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. How many times do we go to prayer and we just throw it out there, give it once, oh, we're good. Or twice, or maybe three times. But then if if we don't hear anything, if we don't get the answer that we want, we just kind of give up. So Jesus is telling his parable. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about people's thoughts. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, kept coming to him. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen one who cry out to him day and night? Will they keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see these things that get justice quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will you find such faith in him? And so we get to this point in the, in, the, in the text, this desire to ask, to seek, and to knock. And then we get to verse 12, which seems to like not fit, right? It doesn't seem that it fits with the text. But let me just ask before we get there. How persistent are you in your prayers? Are you like the persistent widow who keeps coming? Keeps coming? Keeps coming? Because you know God is good and wants your best. He wants a relationship with you. Do you pray and not give up? If, if, I mean, if we're honest, if I'm honest, a lot of my prayers... I just pray, okay, guess that didn't happen. It's like, it's like applying for a job and only, and only applying for one job and don't get it and you go, well, then I'm not going to apply for any other job. It takes persistence. 
Because sometimes, I don't know if you, but sometimes I feel like I say my prayer and they hit the ceiling and they just fall back to the ground. God, are you listening? God, do you hear me? God, do you want the best for me? I know the answer is yes. Sometimes my heart says, nope. What helps you be a persistent prayer? What helps you to continue to ask, to seek, to knock? To be someone who, who is like that persistent widow. What helps you and then what hinders you from that? And that's some of the questions you're going to talk about. But it's really interesting. I found a quote from somebody, an, arch, an archbishop of Canterbury in the 1940s. And he says, his name's William Temple. He said this. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. And then he turns the corner, right? It seems like, okay, Jesus, you went from prayer to what? And you bump into verse 12. So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And so to sum up, he's kind of like, to sum up all of this, all of my teaching, Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, I'm giving you the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. Now, this is not something that Jesus pulled out of the air. This is something that was in the culture, but what's really interesting is how Jesus flips it. Because in the culture, people knew the golden rule, but it was a negative connotation. It was... Do not do to others as you would have them not do unto you. So it was negative. If you don't want, if, if you don't want someone to murder you, don't murder them. No, Jesus flips it. He says, if you want your neighbor to love you, love them. If you want someone to serve you, serve them. He flips it to positive. And so Warren Carter, a professor from Philip Theological Seminary, says this, Treating others as one would wish to be treated summarized the human interactions envisioned throughout the sermon. So what he's saying is everything that we've been talking about is summarized in this golden rule. These interactions are to be marked by mutuality, love, and justice, not domination and enforced deference, typical of many interactions in a hierarchical, competitive society. This verse provides a general orientation to guide specific actions in particular situations. It is a well-known guideline for human interaction in Greco-Roman and Jewish traditions. Leviticus 19.18, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Here's a connecting piece. You ever had somebody come to you and tell you the, tell tell you some situation that they're dealing with, and your response is, "I'll pray for you." And how often do we, do I, go away and we totally forget that, and we don't pray? If you want to be persistent in prayer, or if you want someone to be persistent in prayer for you, maybe you need to be persistent in prayer for someone else to apply the good golden rule to prayer and how you pray for someone else and hoping that they, in turn, pray persistently for you. 
So we're going to spend some time talking about the text, about what it looks like to be a, a persistent citizen in prayer, and what it looks like in the everyday, ordinary spaces of life to live out this golden rule. Amen.